The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Uh, last week, we reviewed X-Men number 22, Divided We Fall, where the Avengers foe Count Nefaria showed up, surprisingly, uh, used some illusions to gather the X-Men in Central Park, where they were then attacked by a bunch of nonsensical villains from the 1960s. Uh, we'll see all of them again in today's issue, but as a reminder, uh, eel, unicorn, scarecrow, porcupine, and plant man. Uh, the X-Men were all captured because divided we fall. It was in the title. Uh, Captain, or excuse me, Captain America. Count Nefaria tried to force <laughs> them to uh, work with him. They refused, and he ended the issue with a threat uh, against Washington, D.C. So we're going to pick that up in today's issue, which is X-Men number 23. Uh, it is called To Save a City! Exclamation point. Because all the titles back then had exclamation points. Uh, this issue is from August 1966. There's so much fun stuff in it. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to have uh, our three guests each introduce themselves. Uh, today, the question I have for you guys, uh, let us know your names, let us know your gender pronouns. Uh, and uh, then today's question is, give us a soap opera plot line from the X-Men uh, that you just uh, love and adore. Now, before I turn the time over to you guys, I just have to nerd out for just a moment. We have a special guest on today. Uh, Mr. Josh Trujillo is here. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his work. And Josh, we are so, so, so thrilled that you are uh, hanging out with us today. So thank you. Thank you for being oh, no, here. Thank our you little for podcast. having me. Yeah, thank you. Our esteemed honor. Okay. So, uh, Daryl, do you want to begin with uh, introductions? Sure. My name is Daryl. I have the he, him pronouns. And I think my favorite soapy moment um, throws back to the Dark Phoenix saga when um, Gene and Scott are going through all of their drama, but particularly when. Gene was dancing with Jason Wingard in the club, I believe, and mm -hmm. Scott is all torn up about it, and he is deep in his feels that he has been ditched by Gene, and she's dressing real differently at that point as well. So um, I think that really just spun out the drama of that moment, of that arc, and then it sort of carried forward that soapy feeling even into today's comics, where we, now they're pretty much in the unofficial thruple with Wolverine. Um, all of that situation speaks very Dynasty, very Dallas to me. So that's my pick. And then Bethany, go ahead. Oh, hi, I'm Bethany, uh, they, them pronouns. And I think my favorite, I had a really hard time with this. Um, because there are just so many. But I think my favorite soapy moment is the big reveal um, that Mystique is Nightcrawler's uh, parent in uh, X-Men Unlimited number four. Um, I loved the sort of the 
the three wit and her confession about trying to murder him when he was a baby. Uh, <laughs> it's just, she chucked her baby off a cliff. You can't get any more soap opera than that. And it was just, uh, it was very heightened emotions and that fantastic art. So I think that was definitely my favorite moment, especially because it's, again, uh, um, it has the reverberations throughout the series. It's they're dealing, it's, I think it's going to be dealed with, uh, dealed with, dealed with is not English. Um, it's going <laughs> to be dealt with, <laughs> it's going to be dealt with in the Inferno series that's going on. And I'm really excited about that. I'm, I'm secretly hoping that it's revealed that Destiny is uh, Nightcrawler's mother and Mystique is Nightcrawler's um, other parent, um, father. Having Mystique as a trans character would just be fantastic. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> That's it for me. We had a uh, we had our trans friend Anne on several episodes ago, and she talked awesome. about Miss, Mystique kind of being uh, her ideal growing up. Because if you can change your shape yeah. to be who you really are, it, it, I think there's <laughs> a lot of representation there. Uh, Josh, go ahead. Oh gosh, I'm captivated by the ongoing drama between Colossus and Kitty Pride. Whether it be Colossus having a child in the Savage Land or um, them getting close to getting married and Kitty's like the ring went through her, her finger because she couldn't like focus on the wedding. Um, so really anything that makes their relationship more complicated. Cause I am just, I'm like an anti-shipper for Colossus and Kitty. So any rant <laughs> thrown at them, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That's fantastic. Uh, my name is Chad Anderson. I use he, him. Uh, I, I think I grew up with sisters who watched a lot of soap operas. Nothing screams soap opera more to me than an evil twin. And so just to wrap it up in like 30 seconds, Cyclops is in love with Jean, but he marries her clone and they have a baby who is dying. So he gets sent to the future and then comes back as a grown up with his own evil twin. There's, there's so much. Uh, and anytime we have like a surprise parent reveal or like a long lost sibling, yes. right? The, the Summers family has it all. It's, uh, it's particularly <laughs> delicious. Uh, uh, Daryl, uh, tell us a little bit about you uh, and what you're working on right now. Sure. Um, so uh, I just launched a new podcast, actually, which is going to cover the Wheel of Time television series on Amazon. So my partner and I are recording it together. He read all of the books, which all the props to him, because it is a long series and I gave up halfway through. So he's bringing a lot of knowledge to the table. I'm sort of the novice when it comes to it. So um, if you want to check it out, we are over at Two Rivers, Two Takes. We're on Instagram, and we are on all of your favorite podcast platforms as well. So the series comes out six days from today. We're going to cover all the episodes and then whatever else we feel like. So um, it's an exciting new project. I uh, I was in college for six years, and I read those books all the way through college. That, that like captures my college experience. Uh, Two Rivers is the town where Randolph Thor comes from. That's a brilliant uh, title. I'm excited to listen to what you're doing. Uh, Bethany, tell us a little bit about you and what you're working on. Oh, um, so I'm I've just released my third novel, uh, The Hungry and the Lost, with Parthian Books, which is a Welsh publisher. Um, so I'm I've been busy promoting it and before then um, editing it, which was a nightmare. Honestly, <laughs> I wrote it very quickly. Even the editing process took forever. Um, and I'm also writing a series of essays for Comic Watch, the Comic Watch website, um, using Lord Raglan's Hero Index as a means of measuring Marvel characters. Um, and comparing them to their mythic counterparts. And it's, it's really fun. Uh, I really love getting into the nitty gritty of it, the academia. Um, and 
other than that, I'm teaching and parenting with, I've got a 20 month old um, son and it's really difficult to get anything done when he's running amok. But yeah, so he was not conducive to, he didn't, he, he wasn't particularly helpful when it came to writing or editing, editing, but he does give me a lot of material to work with. So, uh, can, can I, yeah. can I share with our, our fans what happened a few weeks ago? I, I yes, assume this is please. fine. Bethany was going to guest post with us a few weeks back, and uh, she had to message me at the last minute, like, my child just headbutted me, <laughs> and I can't appear on camera. <laughs> he, he cracked my cheekbone. So I had to go into the emergency room, and the doctor was asking me what happened, and I said it was my son's hard little head in my horrible Chinese. Um, and I'm in China, and they didn't believe it until they x-rayed it and saw that it was actually a fissure in my cheek. It was horrible. Yeah. That's a um, terrible thing to laugh at, but I've, I've had my child give me a bloody nose uh, yeah. from the same thing. So I get it. Uh, yeah. I don't have anything to plug except on Grey Malcolm, we get some incredible uh, guests coming up. We have so much fun uh, stuff coming up in the next few months. And then uh, I plugged this once before, but the documentary I made, Dog Valley, is still available on iTunes and, and uh, uh, Apple and YouTube. So if you'd like to see that, it's wonderful. Uh, but let's uh, extend a very warm welcome to our special guest today, Mr. Josh Trujillo. Uh, Josh has been working, I'll let you introduce yourself, of course, but he's been working in uh, the writing field for a long time, doing video games and comics from all different spaces. Uh, everything from Dream Daddy, if you guys have played that, if you're gay, you should play it. If you're, <laughs> if you're not, it's yeah. fun anyway. Uh, to uh, to Farmville Three, uh, his his books, Love Machines, uh, and oh, I played the Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale games, uh, which was so much fun. Um, and then he's done some really really incredible work uh, at Marvel that we'd like to talk about for a minute too. Uh, Josh, tell us a little bit about uh, your your work, what you're working on now, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about your Marvel stuff more specifically. Uh, yeah, so I do like a wide breadth of stuff. I do video games, I do comics, as you said. Um, I definitely try to focus on queer stuff for my comic work. A lot of humor, a lot of fantasy. Um, I've been kind of a mix of the nitty gritty and the cosmic for my Marvel work so far, um, which I like that balance. Um, basically, I like to uh, constantly challenge myself and find new genre and new characters to play with. Um, video game wise, I don't get to be as choosy, but I get to work on some cool characters. Guardians of the Galaxy, I did a Batman game for Telltale. Um, I have a couple of big projects that I can't talk about yet, which is like the worst thing to say, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Farmville 3, a game that you would not think has writing, I spent a good three years on and off working on. So if you see any cows named after my friend, it's because I did that. Um, <laughs> and just, uh, just really whatever comes my way. I love that. And you did, uh, you, you, did you work on the uh, Wolf Among Us Part 2 game as well? I worked on the unreleased Wolf Among Us Part 2. So Is it, um, is it ever coming out? They're they're working on a part two, but it is not my part two. Ah. Just to confuse things even mm. further, I'm a big Fables fan as well, which is uh, such a great series. Yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, now, Josh, you first came out on my radar as a fan, and let me just note: I love being in rooms full of like educated queer nerds. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> so I'm so happy you guys are. <laughs> Uh, so I, uh, I, Josh, you first came across, uh, uh, my attention at least, uh, there's a recent series in Marvel called the United States of Captain America. Uh, now I know prior to that you had done, uh, uh, kind of a side series on the, or at least a one, what's five or six pages on the Warriors three or Warriors four. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, so when uh, when the United States of Captain America came out, it's a series where Captain America, Falcon and Winter Soldier are traveling around the country trying to stop some obscure villains, uh, including the hate monger, which is literally the essence of Adolf Hitler, uh, from corrupting some kind of small town inspirational versions of Captain America. And we get to see uh, 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 black female Captain America and a Native American Captain America. But uh, but Josh, you were responsible for creating uh, Mr. Aaron Fisher. Tell us about Aaron and your creation of him. Yeah, so Aaron is a teenage runaway. He's from Missouri. He's the Captain America of the railways. So he gets around by uh, by traveling on the rails. Uh, he's just kind of like a, he's really motivated, really uh, plucky, I think is actually probably a good term for him. He's a little bit of like a, a scrapper too. He's got that that bruiser Wolverine mentality at times, but he's a little, he's a kid. He's 19 years old. He has dumb tattoos. He's getting more of them. He likes to go dancing. Uh, and I just adore him. So you, you got this opportunity. Did they ask you to create a gay Captain America specifically? Was that kind of the, the pitch? Yeah, the, um, I was approached to cut with the idea of the United States of Captain America and I really loved it. And they wanted a, a gay Captain America. Um, they wanted someone who was connected to the railroad in a way, uh, which was an odd request, but I really kind of dug it because it gave me a lot of room to kind of focus on, on his status as a runaway. And it got, got, gave me an opportunity to kind of dig into some issues that Marvel comics maybe don't normally talk about. There's a big youth, um, homelessness problem in the country, especially for LGBT youth. So this was like actually an avenue to maybe kind of shine some light on that. I was really fascinated by the railway connection. So that makes sense. I'm like, if you could choose a queer cap, I would I would think, you know, the Castro in San Francisco, but here's a guy in overalls with a kind of a trash can Captain America shield that run yeah. around on railways. It was really fun to read. Yeah, uh, he's a superhero by way of Mamma Mia, for sure, with the overalls. <laughs> what's, the, what's the response to Aaron Fisher been? Um, it's been incredible. I wasn't anticipating... You know, when you you write something, you hope that it gets a reaction. But uh, the day it came out, it completely blew up in a way I hadn't anticipated. And I don't think Marvel anticipated it either. Um, because it was in like Rolling Stone. It was in political magazines. It was on Time Magazine. It was on the Today Show. It was on TMZ. My mom called me and she's like, <laughs> I, you're on TMZ. And I was like, what? And so like there, the, Aaron Fisher was there. Um, which was like completely blown me away. And I think the reception has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, now, you obviously get that like blowback from um, maybe a more conservative point of view of like, you're making Captain America gay. And I'm like, yes, yes, we are. Thank you. <laughs> and you got to work with Jan Bazaldua, right? How was, how was that? Oh, Jan's amazing. Uh, her designs for the character were spot on from the very beginning. And she's able to like get so much emotion out of the script. Um, there's a lot of like grittiness, earthiness, um, and so she just did an incredible job with that. Uh, Daryl and Bethany, did you guys get a chance to read uh, The United States of Captain America or Aaron Fisher? What were some of your thoughts? Yeah, I thought, oh, sorry, Mom. I thought it was amazing. The energy was really good. And as you said, the character um, being connected to the railways. Uh, when I lived in America, I was really, I traveled a lot on the, um, um, by rail and seeing a character that was so wound up in that and as you said with the lgbt um homeless homelessness problem the rise of lgbt homeless youth is a very it's an interesting thing to see in a mainstream comic 
I was so excited and still am, honestly. Yeah, I think um, I think the expectation was he was would be more of like a West Hollywood kind of party yeah. guy. And I definitely wanted to shy away from that and give him give him a little bit more earthiness because I wanted to reflect yeah. the reality that I experienced growing up in a more suburban town, kind of dealing with living, uh, you know, living in the closet and living with that and yeah. wanting to run away. He's got a, he breathes more than most, I think more than most modern characters. He's got a, a vitality to him. And then I think that really shows that lived experience. Yeah, I really like his sense of justice, that that is what's really driving him to be more than just himself, that he's trying to serve the community and make it better. Um, that's what really spoke to me when I was reading his character. And it's interesting that they approached you with the railway perspective, but I mean, we just had the infrastructure bill passed. So um, maybe <laughs> there's some political motivations there and we can improve those railways for him. So once he um, gets more renowned and it continues on, cough, Marvel, cough, make it. it <laughs> um, then maybe, you know, he'll take advantage of our renewed infrastructure in the United States. Yeah, this was all kind of part of Christopher Cantwell, who's the main writer for the United States of Captain America. Aaron Fisher is actually a name that he came up with based off of an, a childhood friend of his. Um, oh. So oh, it was kind of a, it was a joint effort between Christopher, Jan, and I, for sure. Um, but I love him so much. I, uh, I, I'm i a big Christopher Cantwell fan, too. His Iron Man work right now is is one of my favorite spaces. I love obscure characters, and he's pulling in so many obscure characters. Oh, Frogman. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love me some Frogman. He just had an epic, uh, an epic story with Stiltman as well, which is so good. Um, when it comes to Aaron Fisher specifically, one of the things that stood out uh, that I love, uh, in order to appreciate a character like this, I have to take myself back into like my closeted youth where there was just no representation. And in the X-Men, we have a lot of queer representation now. But to see a Captain America character uh, who is out and gay and very sex positive and uh, just kind of loving his life and loving himself. I, I wish like 17 year old me many years ago could go back and read this story. I think it's so powerful. And the other, uh, the other Captain Americas that are introduced in the United States of Captain America series are also really unique mm -hmm. and specific and uh, surprising in, in the, their characterizations. I hope we see uh, all of these characters again. Now, Josh, you have more recently, just in the last few weeks, been able to announce that you're working on a Marvel Infinity comic uh, featuring everyone's favorite gay couple, uh, Wiccan and Hulkling, who have just come out of a massive amount of story attention with uh, Hulkling becoming the emperor of the Kree Skull Alliance uh, and their very public wedding, uh, the murder of the Scarlet Witch uh, and, and all of their tie-ins there. What was it like to pick up the reins on these characters and how did you decide what type of story you wanted to tell with them? Um, it was definitely uh, a joy and super intimidating, I'll say. Um, Billy and Teddy fans are in a class of their own. I think definitely it's like X-Men fans and Wiccan and Hulkling <laughs> fans have that intensity and that huge love for the characters. Um, I knew that they were coming out of a lot of these massive cosmic events. I knew they were going to be in the Guardians of the Galaxy series. And um, I just wanted to give them a little bit of room to breathe. Uh, it felt like they haven't had a chance to relax because they're constantly getting swept up in the center of the Marvel Universe right now, which is amazing to have two queer characters doing that. 
but I want to know what their what their inner lives are like a little bit. He's the king of space now, so uh, there's a lot of story potential there. Just like how does that change the relationship dynamic as well? So the series you said uh, I think it's going to run four issues. The first two have come out. Uh, maybe the third one may even be out before uh, before this episode drops. But uh, mm-hmm. in the first issue, we get to see this delightful scene with uh, with uh, Billy and Teddy or Hulkling and Wiccan sitting down with North Star and Kyle and Iceman for kind of a little gay brunch. And uh, the dialogue <laughs> is so much fun. You get Iceman's humor just right. You get North Star and Kyle like talking about what it's like to be a gay couple uh, working in a gay relationship. Uh, how did you decide on that scene? I love it so much. Uh, you know, whenever we see queer characters together, it's usually in like a pride special where they're all marching together or like, you know what I mean? We don't really get to see them talk to each other. There, it's a lot of like, we're here, we're queer, we're proud. And I'm like, well, what are they actually saying to each other? And North Star and Kyle are two characters that have been on my Reddit radar for a long time. Kyle in particular fascinates me because North Star is like the perfect man in many ways. And like, what does Kyle bring to the table? And it's like, he tolerates North Star's attitude. Um, <laughs> the only one that can rein him in. Uh, I wanted that generational play because North Star and Kyle are slightly older, they're, they're a little more settled in their marriage, and they have a little bit of wisdom to impart. And then Bobby is like our hopelessly single example of that too. You had already agreed to be on the podcast when I read this issue, but uh, there's a moment, uh, despite the fact that I'm an educated professional, I love a good innuendo and I love to laugh. And there's a moment in your issue where Iceman says, is anyone going to eat my pie as he holds his pie? <laughs> like, oh, Josh and I are going to get along well. <laughs> Uh, I love a good pun. Uh, Daryl and Bethany, did you have uh, reactions to uh, to this Infinity comic? Yeah, I I really like it. I like the Infinity format, and I'm interested to hear from you, Josh, how it differs writing for something that yes. is exclusively electronic and such a different mm-hmm. format because you're scrolling down, which yeah. is uh, something they busted out a couple months ago for Marvel Unlimited. And it's a really cool approach. So did that change the way that you write in terms yeah. of characters? Um, I hadn't had the opportunity to write for that infinite scroll format before, but it was a real learning experience. The You know, in a comic, you have things like panel size or page turns that can really like dictate how you're supposed to read it and the pacing. And you don't necessarily have that in an infinite scroll comic. It's kind of you're always chasing the bottom of the screen and you always need something visually to draw you in. And so um, Jody Nishijima is the artist. Um, she did a story for the United States of Captain America as well with um, Ariel Abgayani and Alyssa Wong was the writer. But um, she was a master of this format already. I mean, some of the pages, she well, I guess we call them pages, but they're not scrolls. Uh, but she just did a phenomenal job of taking my script and kind of reimagining it and repacing it to fit kind of more of a webtoons tapas style. Uh, as for maybe like what kind of story I wanted to tell with it, the format really lends itself, I think, to a lot, maybe a softer form of storytelling. Yeah. There is action in my story, but I think a lot of the, the, the dynamic is very much relationship-based, love-based, and interplay between characters. Uh, And just a lot of interesting things you can do with the format, like backgrounds. You kind of have this idea that like the panels exist within the page, and then you can have this like beautiful illustrated border that 
If you like, yeah. if you read fables with Mark Buckingham, you get an idea of what kind of detail and attention you can put in the background and how it informs the story. Bethany, did you want to talk through anything? Oh, I'm sorry, Daryl, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, I, just I just wanted to thank you for being able to bring these characters up because yeah. I don't know about other readers out there, but I feel that we've lost a lot of our queer storytelling in recent months with Guardians of the Galaxy coming to an end and um, X Factor coming to mm -hmm. an end. Yeah, that so, was <laughs> um, I was... Uh, really pleased to see that this is one of the main titles when it comes to the infinity comics and um being able to highlight like you said a softer story it is really working on the characters it is not um a beat within a larger arc in a team book it is really focused on them and the first two issues that are out are really phenomenal and i'm really excited to read the conclusion too. I'll be sad that there's a conclusion. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to read the next one every single week. Well, and this, this series also seems to feature, we don't know for sure, but Agatha Harkness, who we all love from uh, WandaVision. So I'm really excited <laughs> to see where it goes. We, we, we have these stories of, uh, the, it seems like issue two is taking a turn of what would their lives could be, or we, we don't quite know what's happening yet, but I'm really yeah. excited to see what comes up uh, comes up next, Josh, as a fan. Uh, Bethany, did you have anything you wanted to say here? Uh, yes, I just wanted to, I just had a question. Um, which character was the easiest to get into for you in terms of writing? Which character was the, the easiest for you to connect with and the voice you heard clear, more, the most clearly? And um, which was the least, which was the most difficult? You know, I came in, um, thinking that Billy would be the easiest one to write for. And I think historically, Billy gets a lot more attention than Teddy does. Maybe it's because yeah. he has his insecurities and it's easier for the writer to kind of project onto that. And was, I do think I had a good, be, a good grasp of Billy, but Teddy was the one I really wanted to wrap my head around and try to figure out like, what is, what is he going through now as being king of space? What is he looking for emotionally? What does he need? Uh, and so that was like the learning experience. I would say that if, you know, Marvel willing, I get to do a follow-up, it would be <laughs> as Hulkling centric as possible. Cause I've really fallen in love with him over the course of the story. I can tell uh, what, um, and how do you, how, can you tell me a little bit about your process when it comes to writing the scripts? Um, like yeah. Where do you start? And um, sorry, I'm so, just, <laughs> this no, is so what I like, uh, I like the nitty gritty. <laughs> So I, I do everything in, you know, kind of outline format. Traditionally, I will write page beats. So I'll be like, on this page, I'll write a paragraph explaining each sentence basically as a panel. Um, for Hero is a little tricky because we're not dealing in necessarily panels. An infinite comic for Marvel is roughly the equivalent of maybe like an eight page or a 10 page comic. Um, and so you don't have the most room in the world either. Uh, so a lot of this was going back and forth with my editors, Alana Smith and Martin Biro, and figuring out try to how to, to best to tell the story economically. Because um, you don't want to bore people with too much scrolling either, which is a lesson that I've learned in reading a lot of similar works from like the webtoons or top of the world. Uh, there is a pacing is incredibly important. And all of that is up to the artist in some ways too. Uh, Marvel's done a lot with Hulk and, Hulkling and Wiccan lately. We got to interview Anthony Oliver recently, who did kind of their 
the origin of their love story. We've seen them in Guardians. We've seen them uh, in Empire. I, it's really fun to see queer characters emphasized. And uh, Josh, thanks for taking your reins on that. And I mean, I'll just say as a fan, if you get a, a monthly book, I would adore seeing what you're able to do with characters like this over time rather than in just a few pages because you already are doing such beautiful work even with limited page numbers. Thank you. I want more uh, more chances at North Star. Actually, he's the one that surprised me. Uh, I was like, he's fun. He he, <laughs> I, he has a very distinct point of view, and he's not afraid to tell people it. So let's. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Daryl. Go ahead. No. Yes, I love that. Please give me as many members of Alpha Flight as you want to take on as writer. Um, <laughs> well, I grew I grew up with Marvel trading cards, like everyone else. I think my age and. We couldn't get, because we were poor, we couldn't get all the cards. So we were often stuck with like the common cards. And the common cards were always like Vindicator uh, or like Puck. It was always Alpha Flight characters. <laughs> I know I know their stats back and forth. I'm just waiting for the call. Yes. I love that. So uh, uh, we're, this is so much fun. Again, we're all like educated professionals doing cool things, but we get to throw out terms like king of space and have it make sense. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Uh, so with that, let's, uh, let's dive into the issue we are here to review today. We have uh, X-Men number 23. Uh, let's hear your reactions to kind of just the cover initially. We have uh, to save a city. It says action lovers. This one's for you. Uh, kind of a crazy action sequence. What were some of your thoughts on the, on the cover initially? Oh gosh, I love this. Is a oh sorry, please, Bethany. Oh, no, no, go for go 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 ahead. Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's so dynamic and like it's very exciting. It uh, some of the uh, the kind of the the way it's laid out, it has a lot of depth to it. And some of these covers from this era can be very flat. Um, so I really appreciated that. And also, it has like ten characters on it, just like the way that it's it's laid out so as you get a clear view of everyone and everyone's actively doing something. Like it is kind of like a master class on how to just lay out an action sequence. We tend to either get on these old 60s covers, uh, like a really kind of tiered, like here's action, 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 or the characters are all off on the side and then there's like one fight happening in the center. So to see this kind of really fun action panel with everybody having something to do, uh, Marvel Girl exam as, as an example is actually using her powers instead of just posing femininely in the corner. Uh, there, there's some really good things there. Uh, Daryl and Bethany, what were your thoughts? Mine was actually very similar to that. I thought it was an interesting collage of superhero powers. And I, I like that it's very busy, but it's, it's clear, it's lucid. It's not overly cluttered. Um, and you can see what's happening. It's not, um, they're not pasted all over each other. They're they're actually dynamic and in a um, in a way that is comprehensible. <laughs> you can understand what's going on, and it's not it's not just thrown together in a jumble. It's not like visual spaghetti. And the fashion. Yeah, the fashion. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm never gonna get over this. <laughs> like, there's this scene on the when Plantman is saying my costume, the the collage of powers of my costume, and I'm thinking, dude, you look, you look like you look like a home and garden shop vomited all over your outfit. What's <laughs> I really uh, like? Um, that, so sometimes covers it they they're meant to sell the book and. Yeah. Like you said, Chad, it, sometimes they highlight things that don't necessarily pay off within the book. 
we know that this is part two of a story and Mm -hmm. we know all of the players already because of part one. And this is promising a payoff. And this is showing that stuff is going to happen and it actually does. I don't want to spoil, you know, like 20 pages in. Yeah. (laughs) But um, I like how accurate this is to the actual story inside and Mm -hmm. showing everyone in action because everyone is in action Mm -hmm. in the book as well. So do you feel like the um, the cover prompt of like action lovers, this one's for you, is totally accurate? Yeah, I well, <laughs> I mean, there is action, and then there is uh, Charles sleeping in his chair. Yeah, <laughs> what I'm doing and the so. Lesson. <laughs> it, it's really a spectrum of action if you think of it, with the lower end being none. The uh, the issue itself is a lot of fun. There's a lot of pacing. When we jump onto page one, I'm going to read through the credits very briefly. It says, edited in ecstasy by Stan Lee, written in rapture by Roy Thomas, drawn in delight by Werner Roth, uh, uh, who is using his, uh, his real name here. Uh, he often goes yeah. by Jay Gavin back then. Uh, delineated in depth by Dick Ayers and lettered in a lawn chair by Artie Simak. I always love Artie <laughs> himself. Uh, I want to introduce, uh, we've been talking about the professionals a little bit more. Dick Ayers, I'm going to spend just a few seconds on this, uh, is a, uh, a, a comic book professional from Marvel that was around for a really long time. He was born in 1924, died in 2014. He worked for DC, he worked for Archie. Uh, he's won tons of awards over the years. Um, He's probably most famous for about 10 years. He was the primary penciler on a a famous but obscure series called Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. Uh, He created a bunch of characters, including uh, Ghost Rider or co-created. So we see his name in these issues, but I thought I'd just give a little context for him uh, as we we jump in. When we open the book, we have uh, Count Nefaria in his uh, castle... He has a dungeon equipped with uh, all kinds of chains and torches. <laughs> it's very dramatic. <laughs> there's a there's a metal visor over Cyclops's eyes. Everybody's bound uh, so that they can't use their powers. And uh, he's trying to force the X Men to work with him uh, in in conquering the city of, or excuse me, in in, in working with him as criminals. If they don't, he's going to conquer yeah. the District of Columbia and frame them. Uh, what were you guys, uh, what did you think about Captain, excuse me, about Count Nefaria as a villain in this issue? I have a question, I'm... first of all. Hmm. And it maybe because I think that Bethany and Josh, you're both creative. I'm very hmm. logical. So maybe you can tell me where in the DC metro area is this castle that Count Nefaria has? Is, is this in Virginia? Is this Maryland? <laughs> I was wondering that too. I, if, there are no I, mountains. I misread it the first time and I was like, there's a castle in Washington, DC. And I was like, no, it's in the outskirts. It's like, yeah, I don't even know. It's real estate was different back then. In Count Nefaria's first appearance in Avengers, which I think was number 13, he uh he is a like the richest man in Europe, and he wants to come and start his own mafia, which is called the Magia uh here. And so he has his ancestral family castle transported to the United States brick by brick on ships and then rebuilt in New Jersey. So this is a man who will go to uh, all ends to impress, <laughs> including building his own castles. So we can assume he put something together <laughs> just for this plot itself. He's a oh, little over the top. The Bil- Maybe it was the Biltmore house, Biltmore mansion. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, and- he just took it over. <laughs> 
<laughs> there was obviously no shipping crisis in the oh. 1960s. I mean, they could actually get his castle into port. Now, Tony okay. Perry is obviously, he's a very like Lex Luthor type villain. He's yeah. non-powered, tons of resources, tons of money. Did you guys like him? Was he uh, an From a non-specified Eastern European country. Like there's, it. what country? Like he's, <laughs> it's not Lateraveria. It's not Romania. It's it's a place that, you know. I think Canon shows he is from Italy. I think Canon shows he's from okay. Italy now. Uh, but I, back All then, right. I don't think they specified it. I want to say, because he appears in New Avengers, I want to say, and he has a daughter. Mm-hmm. But I think they go, they like, the New Avengers go to whatever made up country or city he's in and just like <laughs> wreck a castle at some point. Um, he, he's a, he's from, like, brought the castle back. Yeah. He's so a he brought huge, the castle back. He's a huge Avengers foe with like Superman level powers now. And his daughter is actually Madame Mask, who's one of uh, Iron Man's biggest foes. Yeah. Um, so he's got a lot of ties into Marvel history. Uh, you guys likely know him later in the X-Men as the villain who is responsible for the death of Thunderbird uh, or John yes. Proudstar. Uh, so he does have some prominence here. Uh, so as we delve into the issue a little bit, uh, the X-Men absolutely refuse to help them. And he reveals that his big plot is to put a giant force field over Washington, D.C. So this man has come prepared, right? Uh, he is going to slowly starve the city of oxygen unless he gets $100 million uh, in response. And he's using illusions of the X-Men to make it appear as if they are complicit in working with him, even though they are chained up in his basement. Uh, we get to see on page two and three, a lot of the public's reaction to this was just not, it's not something they did in the comics often. People kind of trying to break through the barrier uh, and noticing, uh, you know, planes can't land, cars can't drive through. Uh, and and uh, it's kind of a credible threat. So let me hear some of your thoughts or reactions to these first few pages where Count Nefarious plot is becoming uh, prominent. I wonder if Stephen King read this, because if in his novel Under the Dome, the exact oh. same thing happens. A, a town in Maine, of course, Maine, is placed under a crystalline dome that nobody can break through and everybody slowly suffocates. Um, yes. So it had a pop culture influence, I think, perhaps. Um, I noticed that it was in, incredibly white and incredibly male. I don't think that there's a single female, um, there's a single female background character. I'm there pretty sure a- the only one. Where? Did I miss? She's, she's right. Two. She, oh my god okay one lady yeah, sorry and you you one know lady. that she is she's it's, a proper lady because she's wearing her her gloves, gloves. Oh. of course yeah <laughs> there's one so there are two there are two fe- female characters in this book that's that's astonishing and no people I, of color just like just yeah i appreciate account nefaria um only monologuing to a degree and then being like, that's all I need to tell you. Bye. Because that's like, that's just a <laughs> level of restraint and calculation that we do not get from a lot of these villains of the era. And this is also a, this is also a man who takes a long time to get ready. He likes attention. <laughs> I mean, look at him. <laughs> and I think that um, the, the idea of capturing Washington, D.C. just fits a little differently in 2021. Um, <laughs> when I was reading this and I'm like, Oh no! <laughs> From this perspective, is just terrible. <laughs> to page three, and the general's like, "We're gonna nuke it," and they're like, "Maybe that isn't the best idea. May- well, let's rethink that strategy." 
because of working. Yeah. But there's there's yeah. also this delicious image of a firefighter trying to chop into the force field <laughs> with an axe and saying, I might, I might as, as well, well be well swinging a strand of spaghetti. <laughs> I love it. The uh, the sixties are nonsense. Uh, as we as we delve in a little bit more, we see these kind of illusions of the X Men that Count Nefari is using because he has this amazing illusion tech. Uh, going to uh, the the government and demanding the money, uh, and uh, we get all sorts of anti mutant thoughts because you know they're wondering uh, how complicit are the X Men all this, and then they just disappear. The sound effects in this issue are amazing. As they disappear, the sound effect is bleep. G-L-E-E-P. I actually had a question about that panel. Yeah. Um, So one of the security guards or police referred to them as muties. And I haven't read a lot of comics up to this point. Is this the first canonical use of the term? It's certainly the first time we've noted it out loud in the podcast. I can't say for certain it's the first time it appears in the book. We've certainly seen anti-mutant sentiments uh, Mm -hmm. in these early issues. I think as early as issue number four is kind of when it really starts to kick in. Uh, but this may be the first time the term mutie is used, which is like that derogatory term for mutants. Interesting. Okay. I'll have to do my research. I'm not confident. Yeah. On that. Um, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of nonsense on these on these couple pages. Anything you guys wanted to highlight or talk about? Um, to tie into my uh, probably future award-winning podcast, Two Rivers, Two Takes, um, we do see Gene trying to use mental powers to undo something that is binding someone and it not working. Right. And yeah. I really, I liked that she was um, shown in her own panel using her powers mm-hmm. and um, taking a crack at it herself rather than being background or having to just supplement one of the guys trying to use their powers, like boosting them. She is uh, taking a crack at it herself, and it's not working. And we are we are finally in an era. Working. We are finally in an Have era of the X Men where Jean is going to get a little bit more focus. Like she starts to have her own storylines from here forward. And it goddamn took long enough. And it's really smart of Count Nefaria to have put shackles on B's feet as well. That was a good attention to detail. That um, his feet are shackled, and no one else's are, but his are because that's his main power. Yeah, I really loved the fact that the locks were too complicated for Jane to undo because modern Jean Grey, you could never get away with that. Um, no. And I just thought it was just like, Nefarious really thought this out. Like he has actually hit solutions for a lot of these problems. Uh, we also get when she's trying to undo Beast's feet shackles uh, or fetters, I think they're called when they're on your feet. He's commenting about how it's ticklish, like, oh, you're tickling my feet, which is, uh, which is adorable. I love Beast's feet in all of the 60s. It's my favorite. Uh, Bethany and uh, Josh, are you guys big Jean Grey fans? I've gotten to like her a lot more over the years. Um, she used to, my first exposure to her was in the the comic, uh, no, sorry, the animated series on TV and where she's painting every five minutes. Um, and that didn't leave a great impression, but the more I've read and the more I've gotten into it, I, I like her. I like her compassion. And that's not in evidence at all in these early books. Um, yeah, I like Jean um, to a degree. As I get older, I find myself loving Madeline Pryor more. Um, that's definitely like the hot opinion these days. Yeah. But uh, I, I've always enjoyed Jean's compassion. And I just think of all the X-Men, 
she gets swept up in in the mega plot so often she never has mm. a chance to breathe or really get come to terms with who she is. Um, it's interesting to see her in these older era where her power set is so limited. I've talked to a lot of people at this point on the podcast and the, the census of opinion seems to be everybody hates Professor X and Beast. Everybody loves mm-hmm. Cyclops and Iceman. People are ambivalent about the angel. But when it comes to Jean, you either love her or you hate her. There seems to be like I, I, a huge defensiveness in either either direction, which is fascinating. Uh, I hate her cowl, her little pigtail yeah. cowl that's in this issue. That it's, is... Bleh. Awful. It's just how would that help you? Like if you're fighting somebody, they could just grab it. No what does her training. hair look like when no she takes that training. off? Like uh, her hair looks like when she takes up swing. Like a if, bob. Yeah, she's got like the bouffant thing, right? Yeah, like it yeah. would be yeah. slicked, like stuck to her head and then just bushy. Like so this is yeah. this is from the next issue. Yeah. There's okay. there's her with no cowl. Oh, it's different. Okay. Yeah, it's like Linda Belcher on Bob's Burgers, only red. <laughs> sure, sure. Is, like... So we uh, right. we shift scenes over to Professor X, who is very intensely working on a device, which we are soon going to learn. Uh, well, I actually won't say what it is. We're going to come back. I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, but he's so intent in his focus here that he's forgotten he has a telephone, apparently, uh, which somehow <laughs> tells me so much about his character. <laughs> <laughs> Complete mental seal, but you can't unplug the phone. (laughs) Right? Uh, But he gets a call from from General Fredericks, who we actually saw back in uh, issue number two and then again 17 of the X-Men. So this is a minor recurring uh, military general who's also in the Fantastic Four a couple of times. Uh, Xavier is known as kind of a public expert on mutations. So they're calling him to ask for help because they think the X-Men are behind this plot. Uh, and again, I'll just ask uh, all three of you quickly. Do you enjoy Professor X as a character, especially in this issue? Is he? Are you fans? I hate him. I hate him. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate he's egotistical, him. Horrible. I find him cool. so fascinating, though. Whenever he's on yeah. page, I'm oh, like yeah. immediately like, what are you planning Riveted. now, Xavier? <laughs> this issue in particular... He's like pulling a double whammy on everyone until the very end. Uh, Daryl? How many of your students have you murdered today? (laughs) Right. I I really don't like him. Um, I also made the note of him being surprised by his phone. And for the kids there that aren't aware, before cell phones, a silent feature for your phone was just unplugging it from the wall. And and in that way, no one could reach you. He's silenced. Yeah. It's the equivalent of do not disturb on an iPhone because no one can get through. <laughs> and um, he he explains how he prepared himself so he could concentrate, but forgot about the phone. Like I shut down my mental connection to the student so I could just focus on this because they're, they're on a holiday. They have a vacation day. They're fine. Nothing can go wrong. He is a <laughs> headmaster. Heather's not here to sing her Charles as a Dick song, but just plug in any of our previous episodes yeah. and you could hear it. We also get this very imposing panel of uh, him using his powers. His head is red. It's like ah. a close-up of his forehead with like a, like energy, explosive energy of telepathy coming from inside. It like represents kind of a lot of power for him, which is, yeah. uh, which is uh, kind of great, actually. Yeah, I love this panel. 
The uh, the X Men are still back in prison. Uh, we see Iceman loosely reference, or is it Cyclops loosely reference a book called The Prisoner of Zenda? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I had to look this up. So apparently, in 1894, there was this really famous novel called The Prisoner of Zenda about a fictional yeah. country. It doesn't really have any reference here, except it has the word prisoner in it. Uh, there's a couple Hollywood films from way back in the day. So if you want to look up The Prisoner of 1940s. Zenda, 1940s. It's really cool. It's it's actually like I mean it's horrible. It's racist so racist but it's it's fun <laughs> in a early you know tarzan and the apes sort of way sorry oh no you're great how do <laughs> how do the x-men uh how do the x-men escape their shackles anyone oh, Jean Grey um, um, opens his visor and cyclops's visor and cyclops zaps everybody with the sound effect pfap pfap yeah <laughs> His optic Damn. glass always make different sounds. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> I didn't notice that. I just came back to look at it. It's, yeah. And he's his, able to his, free everyone. Uh, and then they storm Count Nefaria. Uh, but he is already prepared. He is ready to let everyone in Washington, D.C. die unless they just work for him anyway. Uh, which, again, leads to his credence uh, as a villain. Uh, any thoughts on these couple pages where the X-Men are escaping? I love the art. The, the color work in this is really amazing. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, it's really striking. It's got sort of a Giotto feel to it, which is not something I'd say ordinarily about a comic book. Um, Iceman, in one of the panels, he's like, uh, what's our cut of, you know, he's like, what's our cut? What's our percentage? <laughs> and like, I can never quite tell with Bobby when he's kidding or like, where's the truth? <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, we see the Senate we see Count Nefarious say that the Senate has just voted a special appropriation to be picked up by the X-Men at the expiration of a three-hour period. Does the Senate ever work this quickly? Oh my God, I feel no. like never there's something in the news. It's like 17 months of decision-making. Well, uh, I just, let me, like, yeah, I will <laughs> give a plug for the Senate in 1966 because the president of the Senate back then was a fellow Minnesotan, Hubert Humphrey. <laughs> he knew how to move business forward. Um, I would have to look up who the majority leader and whip were at that point, but I have a feeling since they're all trapped in a dome, LBJ is probably like Humphrey, get over to the Capitol, get something done. Uh, <laughs> because LBJ was too busy intimidating people within the actual White House at that point. So yeah. um peeing in plants. Yeah. Sorry. I I, <laughs> I I think that he um probably got it done. Um, and, and they're in a time crunch. They want to get out of this bubble. They don't want to be stuck there. They have things to do. They have to make horrible life decisions and <laughs> yeah. drink and beat their wives. <laughs> uh, they have a, and it, think of how much, think of how many cigarettes are being smoked in Washington, D.C. during this crisis. <laughs> Smoke is really trapped inside. <laughs> the lead fuel, the lead gasoline. <laughs> So on page seven, we are reminded that Count Nefaria has a bunch of villains working for him. Uh, Josh, let me turn the time over to you for just a second. Give me your hot takes on uh, on these five amazing 60s villains. I Oh gosh, I'm madly in love with Porcupine. I love the what looks like the straw coat he's wearing. It might just be the coloration of the panels I'm looking at. Um, yeah. Scarecrow is, like, I, I dig Scarecrow. I'm wondering if this is the same Scarecrow that ends up like 
terrorizing the Avengers much later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's like, no, he's, like a, he's like a ghostwriter, demonically powered serial killer now in the comics. Yeah. Because I know the Punisher kills him, I think, during Civil War. And then he comes, yeah, he comes back as a demon or something. Um, so With his crows? He, uh, I don't know if he uses the crows anymore. That hey, yeah, I hope those crows had a good life. Yeah. Because he doesn't look like he treats them well. No. Well, yeah. they're very they're very intelligent and they live about 40 years. They might still be alive. Ooh. No, those, oh, Chad, get the crows in for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of them, the eel was the one I'm, I think I have no familiarity with whatsoever. So what... Uh, the porcupine is currently the silicone yeah. so, so so the original God. the original porcupine uh, josh i don't know if you're aware i used to work on the marvel handbook so i i i oh. know lots of obscure shit that's awesome the uh the original porcupine is alex gentry he dies in the captain america comics and then another villain in the early 2000s takes on his real name is uh roger gawking uh he's kind of a bit villain but he ends up becoming the boyfriend of jessica drew the spider woman uh, and kind of the like stay at home dad for her baby Gerald. Uh, they recently broke up in uh, in the new Spider Woman issues, but uh, yeah, so Spider Woman dates the new porcupine for a while, which is kind of funny. Why would you take over that role? Like, <laughs> super suits must be so easy to get. Like, <laughs> so uh, Josh, haystack hey, man, if you were going to pitch to bring back the original porcupine from the dead, how would you do it? Gosh, he needs powers, right? Because here he's yeah. just like a gimmick man right now. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about his inner life. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there. Like, you know, is he madly obsessed with porcupines? Is it more like <laughs> porcupine's dilemma? He was, where he's kind he of was like, bitten by a get, radioactive porcupine. Yeah, he can't get close to people. Ooh. He, he actually yeah. is. He's He's a military weapons designer. Who designed this? Who designed this suit to be used in combat? But when all of the military men laughed at him, he decided to just wear it himself and become a criminal. Uh, and he looks like he's covered in straw, but those are actually quills. And the most unfortunate thing about Porcupine back then is he has this like harness on his belt, and that's how he controls the quills and what they fire. So his hands are kind of always at crotch level. Just really unfortunate. <laughs> and we're going to see that in a little while. But the other major unfortunate thing is the unicorn who's wearing something called a power horn uh, that just looks like a penis on his head. There's just no other way to yeah. play. Uh He's kind of the leader got... of this bunch. Did you guys like the unicorn? I felt I sad for him. <laughs> Josh, what was that? Oh, no, I, I love the unicorn. I love costumes like this. You know, like the more outlandish, the better. Um, and I, the unicorn is actually surprisingly like a powerhouse of this group, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. This is uh, not the Iron Man villain unicorn, or is it? It is. No, we just plugged okay. Christopher, we just plugged Christopher Cantwell's series Iron Man, and unicorn's a current villain in that series actually. Uh, so it's the same unicorn. He, uh, there have been other unicorns because you know why not? But yeah, he's a he's a current Iron Man villain. Uh, so we flip back to uh, the the villains. They are all preparing to betray Count Nefaria, of course, because there's a hundred million dollars on the line, and all yeah. of these men are in extraordinarily narcissistic. Uh, but we see Professor X kind of interacting with the military, who are asking him questions on what to do. Uh, he basically says, "Let me think for a minute." Uh, he projects his astral <laughs> his, he projects his astral self out of his chair. 
And all of the military guys think he's sleeping. They're like, oh, our mutant expert's gone to sleep. Too much excitement, I guess, because he's just sitting there comatose. (laughs) I mean, I would think the same thing. Uh, And then Professor X projects his astral self kind of through to Count Nefaria's uh, uh, headquarters where he can see what is going on. Uh, Thoughts on these uh, interactions with Professor X and the military? I was just focused on his chair, on his wheelchair. How does he propel it? Like my mom is a wheelchair user and her, the wheels are designed to, you know, to be self-propelled. And this one is one of those wheelchairs that requires somebody to push you. Yep. And so we I'm see just that wondering, is there someone always this- on panel? Yeah. Oh, I know yeah. we see it later on. He asks somebody yeah. to push him, but like, I'm just wondering if he's got yeah. like secret motors a or little- secret. Um, <laughs> It also looks like it's made out of wicker. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those wicker beach, um, Victorian beach, um, beach wheelchairs. This is a very like, it's giving me, I think it's the Disney movie Pollyanna. Someone is in a wheelchair. Um, Oh, Secret Garden, maybe. Secret Garden. Oh, Secret Garden. He stole this wheelchair wheelchair, from the Secret Garden. And um, Colin wants it back. Colin called. Um, I'm not surprised that <laughs> Professor X is being a creep and wandering through yeah. someone's house in his astral form. Yes. I mean, I feel like he's allowed to as long as he's trying to save the day. But yeah, as a standard, you know that he's sneaking into Jean's room like at night. <laughs> <laughs> Got those cameras everywhere. <laughs> Which is so Sorry. unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> The X Men arrive really at the. Hate him. The X Men arrive at the force field. Uh, Bobby pokes his finger in a hole, and it opens up <laughs> a little passage so they can get through. Uh, and then we have a bizarre series of people hiding in bushes. So there, there's a whole bunch of people. Uh, there's a big superhero battle about to fight, but there, I think there are like six or seven panels of people hiding in bushes, which is uh, in the 1960s when you were gay. And you didn't know how to meet people, and you had to go to you had to go to public parks and try to get somebody's eye, and then take them back to the bushes for hookups. And I'm I'm gonna guess that was happening all over Washington D.C. They uh, whoever drew this knew their bushes very well. <laughs> well. That actually got me because there's it's all green in this comic book. Washington D.C. is entirely green, and there is a lot of green space, but it's not like a giant verdant field. Uh, where are these bushes coming from? I, I suspect, personally, that these bad guys brought the bushes with them. They have Plant Man. Plant Man can, plant man grow. can like grow the bushes. So I'm my theory is that Washington D.C. is really just like a city, and he's just grown this field. Yes. Uh, the police all think the X Men are bad guys, right? So they're like opening yeah. fire on them. The X Men kind of stop the police, and then we get a couple of crazy pages of. Everyone just in a kind of mad uh, hijink battle. Uh, uh, let's start with Josh. Tell me some of your favorite moments from this battle between the X-Men and Count Nefarious cronies. My favorite part of the whole thing is probably when the townspeople get involved and they're like, let's start, let's start <laughs> throwing, throwing bricks brick at the X-Men. <laughs> and the X-Men are like helpless against the situation. Um, and- I always appreciate when we get to see a little bit of the real world trying to bleed in and affect what's happening with the mutants. Because usually in modern comics, the humans just get out of the way and let the superheroes take yeah. care of it. 
Well, and there's a huge juxtaposition because the X-Men are trying hard to protect civilians here, but the Count, yeah. uh, Count Nefarious guys are so willing to harm anyone who gets in their way. Like, we will hurt you. There's a big difference between heroes and villains in, the, in that context. And I have the same no, except have you ever tried throwing a brick a long distance? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Who? <laughs> throwing a brick through, like, a window from a sidewalk. Cool, you can do that. They're hitting moving targets that are like a football field away with bricks. So these townspeople, they've been lifting and <laughs> um, they definitely have really good aim as well. Uh, also, they're just, Beast even says this out loud, or, or it's Iceman, excuse me. It's just our luck that these guys had to be near a pile of bricks when they started us. There's just this random <laughs> pile of bricks that millions <laughs> start throwing. In Washington, D.C., yeah. <laughs> right next to the Washington Monument, which is blue for some reason. <laughs> um, Beast goes clambering up the the Washington Monument, which is the most phallic penis-like building possible. So he's just scaling a giant dick to get to the top where Angel has to rest. <laughs> and I think that's all we need to say about that. Uh, when you flip to page 11, Unicorn, again, that is the most penis he had I've ever seen. And that panel in particular... <laughs> It's just very unfortunate. It has a flared base on it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it it's be safe, safely, safely used. I yes, wonder. Sorry. I wonder if anyone has ever cosplayed as unicorn. I kind of someone should. Yeah, we... I would not. <laughs> I think I think we should all go to a convention together and choose one of these five obscure villains to dress up as. <laughs> called that would be amazing. You, you call him porcupine. It's called Scarecrow. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm a little scared. I need to work out a little more because the eel's suit is a little tight, but I'll go as the eel. I'll go as Plant Man to cover up, up things. It's... Oh, I'll take the unicorn. I don't mind. Yeah. Oh, you're going you're gonna <laughs> to go for it, Josh. I love it. <laughs> uh, so as we get to uh, the villains attacking civilians, we can see them being kind of cruel. Porcupine is using tear gas. Uh, eel is using electricity. Uh, uh, unicorn is firing some blasts. Uh, they are they are being kind of unkind. Uh, there's there's a moment where the scarecrow has his crows dive bombing all the civilians, and one of them is like Alfred Hitchcock got nothing on the scarecrow, <laughs> which is a reference to the famous movie The Birds, yeah. where birds swoop out of the sky and attack people. Uh, how, what did you guys think of this page? Matt, please please talk about sloosh, sloosh. Mm. We're <laughs> almost to Sloosh. That's the next We're page. almost to Sloosh. Hold Sloosh uh, for one moment. I'm Sloosh as well. Okay. Oh, oh, can we talk about Fist when uh, <laughs> Porcupine releases gas? Fist. Yeah. Fist. <laughs> so, yeah, Porcupine's sound effect as he releases gas is F-S-S-T. <laughs> I think it's a little more of a fist. We, uh, we've talked about having just an onomatopoeia, yeah, like ASMR, crap. like yeah. reading sound effects from the <laughs> X-Men. <but laughs> <laughs> we also get oh, another I think it's funny. Frap, the unicorn. It's coming out of his penis hat and it says mm. frap and it's the white stream. And sorry. Yeah, no, it's very unfortunate. Like, it's sorry. And I I think Mumsung anti-hero is Plant Man with his growing gun. Um yeah. because it seems to be super effective. If you look at this panel on page eleven. Um, it's like a generalized shot towards some trees, and he has multiple yeah. responding. So he 
he built a good weapon there. I got props. Uh, there, yeah, there's a, there's there's a lot of really fun hijinks. Okay, we're gonna take just a minute on page twelve. Anyone who wants to follow along, please feel free. Uh, let's address the most important panel first. It is the by far the grossest panel we've seen. <laughs> far. The porcupine is attacking. So everybody's going after this case with the bonds for a hundred million dollars, and they're they're all you know trying to get it out of each other's hands. And the porcupine releases uh, liquid <laughs> cement from his weapons belt. So it's at waist level. It is coming out of him toward a cowering beast. It's a big, white, murky block panel. And the sound effect, very large letters, is sloosh. Everybody tell me your thoughts about porcupine slooshing on beast. <laughs> it couldn't have happened to a better X-Man. Uh, if anybody deserves it, it's him. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Porcupine well, came ready for sure. Uh, he, it would it, it have been worse if this were the blue haired beast because then his fur would have been like totally made from the sleuth. Yeah. There are there are times when we are reading into these innuendos, right? But this panel, man, like it, it is it is hard to have it be anything but what it is. It's, oh, my word. Uh, there is also a, a spot where the unicorn gets called a horn top. Has anyone ever had that nickname <laughs> in your personal lives? Horn top. Nothing I'm willing to share on this podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's no. missing at least one vowel. Um, <laughs> that phrase that may be seen probably frequently on some apps. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably fair. Uh, the, the the vowel being Y, right? You're referring Correct. to right. I mean, yeah. sometimes it's a vowel, sometimes it's not. Horny top, which which I think is implied when you wear a hat like that. You're either compensating or advertising. That's that's what I think. <laughs> uh, the the whole action sequence here is just hilarious. Uh, it really is like very like Scooby Doo hijinks almost. Like people running in and out of doors as they try to grab this case out of each other's hands. Uh, we have on the next page, we have a moment where Plant Man says, and I quote, while you two prattle, I'll get to the root of the problem. Oh. And, uh, and the beast is personally offended at this dad joke. Like he says, <laughs> I'm tripped up and to the accompany of a pun yet. I, I love a good I love a good dad joke. If I were Plant Man, it would be constant plant jokes all the time. <laughs> Leave me it's alone. One of his secret weapons. It would it would just go uh on and on. Uh <laughs> Does anybody have like uh, just a single favorite moment in this battle? I think I've already made mine very clear. Um, Sloosh, Sloosh is your favorite. Yes, it's Sloosh. I was I was reading it on um, on my tablet, and I could not stop laughing. <laughs> I got to that page. I was just like, "Damn!" It's like. They they had the co- they had the comics code right like and during this time period where they were specifically on the lookout for stuff exactly like that and it just went right through anyway the comics back in these days uh, be very wordy and it was tough to get through and I appreciated this action sequence because it kept me yeah. reading because sometimes it can be very text heavy and it can really slow down my pace as a reader but the action that they have going on really kept me going and excited about a battle that 
mm. for multiple pages and could be very boring um, if it were executed incorrectly. So the X-Men have to get this true, case with true. the Bonds and get it back to Count Nefaria. Otherwise, everybody in the city is going to die. So mm. Count Nefaria is involved here because he's creating illusions to distract people. The criminals turn on each other. They're fighting the X-Men, but then the actual military show up and the, they're fighting both the villains and the X-Men who are trying to get away with this briefcase. So there's a lot of crazy that happens. My single and favorite there's the moment- fake military as well. Oh, Sorry, yeah, yeah. The, the illusion, big military. Yeah, the, the, the illusion. Military. My yeah. single favorite moment uh, on these is on page 16. The crows are mm. attacking a group of soldiers, and one man says, watch it, these birds are murder. Uh, a group of crows <laughs> is called a murder, and I love a smart pun. <laughs> uh, what did you, Josh, did you have any thoughts on this kind of chaotic sequence here? What did you enjoy? Oh, gosh. There's this bit, I think, a little bit earlier in the action sequence where... Um, the scarecrow calls Jean Grey like a costume juvenile delinquent. And he's dressed like the scarecrow. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like this happens a lot where they're constantly like digging on each other's costumes, but they're all dressed like like wacky, you know, characters. Thematic. Yeah. On page 16, I want to draw our attention to the fact that the eel has a silicone lubricated costume. Yeah. 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 He, he got that Make bottle of Swiss Navy out and just pumped it over his head and just let it run down for battle. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a moment earlier. Where I, there's an, a moment earlier where Iceman thinks I want to go put the kibosh on that eel. Uh, I think, I think he likes the suit a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, these are unfortunate villains. <laughs> they really are really quite terrible. <laughs> uh, we see uh, we see Plant Man creating kind of a jungle cover to uh, to allow the military to or to to force the military back, and then uh, Porcupine, Plant Man, Eel, and Scarecrow all run off panel, and we do not see them again. I don't think ever in another X Men book ever. I'd have to really do my research there. Count Nefaria comes back, but I think these guys are gone. Yeah. Uh, are you gonna miss them? I'm surprised they don't show up again. I'm also surprised yeah. they don't have like a team, like a group name, because they're they're relatively effective as a team. Mm-hmm. But I guess they all go, you know, the Beatles break up eventually. I I suppose we could call them the Magia, right? They're trying to form the Magia for mm-hmm. Counterferia. But yeah, there's no name. Now they all appear in other books, right? But I don't think these characters yeah. ever make it back to the X again. Josh, this is a great opening for you. I mean, oh, don't tempt <laughs> me. Together. We could do it. This that would is be my, amazing. I'm always pitching Z-list characters, which is my bane. Uh, this is it works against me more often than not. I'm like, what about a porcupine story? And they're like, Josh, we have to sell comics. No. But what if you put <laughs> the porcupine back with his original team? Getting the band back together. The nostalgia yeah. factor. Yeah. The, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, they are not. Uh, so, no. I mean, Josh, you're- They're not even the Animen. <laughs> most of them aren't mutants. No, none of them no. are mutants. Oh, none of them are. None mutants. of them. They're uh, pretending to be mutants. Josh, if you had to, point. if you had to give this villainous team a name, what would you call it? Oh gosh, um, the Maja's good. I like. Uh, they're going after money. They're just like greedy, right? There's like, I don't know. They're like the penny loafers or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> they're the There's- sticky bandits. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> There's so many. So we had the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. In Daredevil, we get the Emissaries of Evil. And in the Avengers, the Masters of Evil. I feel like it's the 60s. The word evil has to be in it somewhere. Mm. 
I don't know. I, I, I guess we could be uh, original, but yeah, they, everybody was evil back then. They were advertising how evil they were. Money isn't the root of all evil. <laughs> Love of it. Uh. Uh, the unicorn, however, is has escaped and is hiding in another bush because, you know, if you have a penis hat, <laughs> you definitely be in the bush with a briefcase. Uh, and, this is a uh, good thing to do at 4 a.m. And then, you guys, we've told some really fucking weird Professor X stories so far, but we have the weirdest Professor X story yet. And I want to keep I want to I want to keep you posted here. We have seen him use a battle wheel wheelchair spelunking in a cave hunting people. We have seen him blow up helicopter after helicopter, but he has apparently designed himself a walking suit. Now, this suit only appears four times. This is the first where he is able to walk by using robotic legs. He wraps himself up kind of like the thing does in the Fantastic Four (laughs) by covering his full face, eyes and head and wears a trench coat. Uh, and he uh, he's seeking to get in with Count Nefaria, despite the fact that this man can project his brain, his telepathic brain into space. Apparently he needs this disguise to get into <laughs> Count Nefaria's headquarters. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on Professor X's walking suit and disguise? He looks like Michael Jackson rolling into the Caesars gift shop at 4 a.m., wanting to buy his third sarcophagus for his collection. Yeah, he's about to buy some elephant man bones for sure. Yeah, he is. (laughs) He looks like the invisible man who will appear invisible unless you cover every inch of skin. (laughs) He's just stalking Jean Grey again. That's all. He's like... Now, in a couple of episodes, we're going to have... So, uh, in a couple of episodes, we're going to have a special guest on where we're going to really focus in this conversation on Professor X uh, as his portrayal as a person in a wheelchair and have a conversation about ableism. So we're going to bring this suit back up. Good. But Good. this is just nonsense. <laughs> this whole this whole scene. And it gets worse this, next issue, by the way. This Professor yeah. X knows what you did last summer. And... <laughs> Okay, so Jean Grey runs back into Count Nefaria with the bonds. Uh, Count Nefaria thinks he is getting the bonds, but Professor X is fucking with his brain because that's what you do. Uh, And uh, they have to convince him to finally kind of lower the dome. Count Nefaria then tries to escape on a ship, but the unicorn is flying in. uh, And these two villains kind of ride off into the sunset and then the bonds disappear from in front of them because it was all an illusion in the first place. Uh, we also get this nonsensical reveal of Professor X pulling off his disguise, like, it's me, everybody. Uh, <laughs> Dark man. <laughs> tell me some of your thoughts on these final pages. Honestly, the ableism got to me because in a in a sort of profound way that the silliness and the absolute idiocy of it couldn't really cover but um but i just love the disappearing suitcase it's just such a comic book trope it's absolutely perfect for the book in it as what it was yeah yeah the the mechanical legs are definitely pretty wild especially because mm-hmm. this issue goes out of its way to like emphasize uh, Professor X's lack of mobility. He astral projects, he takes a nap. Uh, yes. And then suddenly, <laughs> I was shocked by the reveal here. Because um, there are so many well-known hobos in the Marvel Universe at this time, like it could yeah. have been Namor or something, but Professor X has the technology, I guess, to, to fix his own problems. 
Mm. He he's a flair for the dramatic that we don't often see. Mm-hmm. You, and you can see that on page nineteen, where he's like, "Oh, child, they don't have that money. Let me light my pipe and explain to you just no. hubris, the hubris that Professor X exhibits." It's uh, it's really, really very ridiculous. Uh, Count Nefaria will not be back in the books during the original 60s run. Now, after Claremont takes over the books, he does come back. And again, he's the villain they are fighting, along with the team of evolved animals. Where uh, uh, I loved those guys. The Animen, they were amazing. The, Animen. the frog guy. It's yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> they're from uh, they're from the Daredevil comics in the sixties, and I really love them. Uh, but that's the mission in which Thunderbird, John Proudstar, uh, dies, yes. uh, which is which is quite tragic. Uh, and that Count Nefaria has gone on to do a lot of really heinous things. Uh, in a recent series uh, about Moon Knight, he actually murdered uh, Echo, who has been resurrected and is now the new Phoenix. Uh, but Count Nefaria has some really some really uh, intense storylines uh, in his future, just not in these original uh, books. Uh, your overall thoughts about his effectiveness as a villain. What what did you love most? His monocle. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I said his monocle. I'm kidding. I, I, <laughs> I love his thoughtfulness. So. <laughs> no, his like walking stick, his cane, his whole demeanor. Yeah. Quite, uh, quite fabulous. Um, yeah. He's a really absurdly capable villain. And as time goes on, I think in the comics, he only gets more powerful and more nefarious as it were. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's a, it was a solid plan. I feel like there's a, an easier way if you're counting Nefaria to get a uh, hundred million dollars, but you know, he, he escaped with his life. So there's something to be said about that. Uh, we get a panel where uh, the unicorn mentions that he, he uh, I'll, I'll just quote, he says, for though my power horn is exhausted, I still possess the strength to wrest this pouch from you. And as someone, as someone who's power horn sometimes gets exhausted, I sympathize, Unicorn. I understand. <laughs> the stamina. He certainly he can. Sometimes your power horn needs a rest for a while. You can't, you can't overextend. Uh, otherwise, there will be too much splooshing. That was, was a reference. To... I was going to quote Big Mouth, but I'm <laughs> against it. It's like... <laughs> Uh, and then we get a surprise uh, twist at the end. Jean Grey uh, has received a letter. We don't know why, but she announces very abruptly that she's going to be leaving the X-Men forever. Uh, for those of you, if you've read the next issue, you learn what it is. But any thoughts on on what might be happening with Jean here? I'm just surprised it's not Cyclops leaving the team again. <laughs> with his satchel over his shoulder. Yep. Off into the sunset. Having real sad yet moments. another. Yeah. To be fair, ruin yet another powerful woman. (laughs) Professor X says, uh, "It's Jean who must decide if we if we can help her, not not we ourselves." He's actually giving Jean the agency to make a decision, which it might be the first time he's ever done that in his entire life. It's certainly the last. (laughs) I hate him. (laughs) My my thought is like, oh my god, we finally get a Jean Grey story. (laughs) 
She's been so yeah. background for so long and kind of supporting. I feel like everyone, uh, Cyclops hasn't had a lot of attention, frankly, but Jean's been the most underused character this whole series. So it's fun to see her finally get a chance to shine a little bit, which she does in the next issue. And we'll see that uh, next week. We also get the announcement that next, next issue, they are going to be facing the Locust. We'll be talking a lot about him uh, in our next uh-huh. episode. So uh, before we before we move forward, uh, if I can hear from each of you, uh, what was your single favorite moment in this issue, uh, and who was your star player? Who was your favorite character? Uh, Daryl, are you willing to go first? Sure. Um, I think my favorite moment and favorite character, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still rethinking. My favorite moment would be, uh, I think, the battle sequence. It's a lot of fun. It, it includes all of the main players from that cover. And I think my favorite character, it might be, I don't know, it's a toss-up. I really like all the villains. Um, mm. They were a lot of fun. And uh, they were effective as sort of guest characters in a, a team book in a way that some villains are very just one and done. And you really don't care because it's just the baddie of the week. These mm-hmm. ones, but like Josh said, they were effective as a team. They they had their shit together and it was an effective plan. So it was interesting to see how they really worked together to try to achieve their aims. And it's just too bad that they broke up. But maybe coming soon from Marvel Comics, we have the Penny Loafers. So... Bethany, <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you? <laughs> okay so you know my favorite moment i've said it like i'm sorry um i i've got a juvenile mind um i love the battle scene and i i thought that it was really well constructed and really well put together uh, and as you said it it didn't take energy um all the characters got an equal focus and everybody played a role and i i really enjoyed that um I think my favorite character was count nefaria actually he's really put together and i love his style i love his um his deep down evil, even if he could have made more money by playing stocks um, <laughs> as, yeah, and taking over the Biltmore mansion is, you know, it's one way to do it. Certainly. Oh, I was, um, <laughs> I was going to note, clearly this is in the sixties cause he had to have a briefcase yeah. of money. If it yeah. was now there'd just be a wire transfer, right? <laughs> yeah. Just get some Bitcoin. Like, yeah, some NFTs. <laughs> NFTs. Yeah. It's like, blockchain's active he's in he's in eastern europe anyway right like you can just get the um that's where all the that's where all the blockchains are um yeah i I love his sense of style and i love his monocle and i love his um his careful planning and his general evil um he's he's got some daddy energy too which i don't mind um (laughs) but yeah he's a good character josh how about you yeah, um, my VIP, no surprise, uh, is Porcupine. Um, obsessed with his his bizarre bag of tricks, obsessed with the porn, Porcupine <laughs> motif. Um, but I thought this issue was like really interesting and in that they're not just because of Count Nefaria, but there's so many misdirections and so many you think it's going to go one way and it veers to the other way, whether it's the action sequence of who gets the briefcase or it's the fact that um, the penny loafers are turning against Nefaria or it's yeah. Professor X's like Hail Mary play oh, at the end. Um, yeah. There's a lot of like, you don't know, you legitimately don't know what's going to come next. Um, and I like the kind of overarching threat of the military kind of 
peeking their heads in every so often. Um, I'm surprised they didn't play up the atom bomb threat even more. Seems very appropriate for the era. Uh, and then I mentioned this on the podcast podcast last time, but we'll get Josh's reaction live here. In a future issue of Captain America, when Mark Grenwald takes over in the mid 90s, there mm-hmm. is an issue where the porcupine is trying to give up crime and sell his suit, but they get attacked mm-hmm. by some villains. He puts the suit on and he tries to run away, trips and falls, and one of the quills on his own suit pierces his heart and he dies. Oh. Oh, oh well, we have to fix that, don't we? <laughs> I have a new mission in life. It's to, to save the porcupine. <laughs> Justice for porcupine. Uh, my uh, my favorite moment in this issue, I mean, laugh out loud, was just sploosh, right? Uh, plus all yeah. the characters hiding in bushes. It just is ridiculous. <laughs> my, star, my star player is Count Nefaria. I think he is actually quite an effective uh, villain. It's, he's a, an imposing threat despite being uh, non-powered. Uh, and you leave this feeling like he's actually pretty credible. Uh, let me capture reactions next week. Uh, oh my gosh, you guys, I get to announce this and I'm so, so, so excited. Uh, next week, we're going to be reviewing X-Men number 24 and our uh, guest star is Leah Williams. Oh, amazing. Awesome. I That's know. awesome. Very cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's really exciting. I'm a, I'm a huge fan uh, of hers. Uh, the fact that I'm doing this nerdy little podcast from the side of my house and I get to talk to people like Anthony Oliveira and Terry Blass and and uh, and uh, Josh here and Leah, it's it's uh, I'm, uh. I'm nerding out. The the little nerd in me is very very happy. <laughs> uh, your reactions initially uh, or live reactions to the cover for X Men number twenty four, yeah. uh, where they are facing the Locust. Uh, any initial thoughts? Looks very I ominous love- for the character. <laughs> yeah, the Locust. Because um, I peeked ahead, but I will say that the Locust does not have this element of maybe mystery to him within the story, but I love this cover. He's a delight. He is a and delight it, from beginning to end. Issue 24 delight, is, yeah. a, is a treat. <laughs> the title is The Plague of the Locust. Come on. That doesn't draw you in. And the teaser panel that they have at the end of this week's story, where they just have a picture of him, and he has a very strong chin. So um, enough for it to really poke out from that costume and be prominent. So I'm interested to see and read ahead to see what the Locust is up to. I'm going to be so bold as to say, and if you follow our podcast, we've covered a lot of nonsense. The X-Men have faced the Vanisher and Eunice the Untouchable and the fucking Porcupine. The Locust is the (laughs) weirdest and most obscure, stupid villain (laughs) original run. He's amazing. We're going to talk about I love his design, though. Like, the the design of his face, the pokey chin is designed to mimic the face of of one of the insects. And I I really like that. He's just delightful. It's uh, (laughs) it's a lot. We'll get there next time. Uh, You guys, I I get to smile and have so much fun doing this. Uh, Thank you. Thank you all for spending this afternoon with me. Uh, I, I, I am a big fan of all of yours, but Josh in particular, I, I'm so honored to be able to sit down and talk with you about the work you're doing. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, so in conclusion, if you guys would each be willing to uh, let us know what we should be excited about coming up. Uh, I mean, we had a chance to talk a little bit about this at the beginning. And then where can people find you on uh, social media? Uh, Gray Malkin Lane is on Twitter at Gray Malkin P, P like podcast, uh, as well as on Instagram under Gray Malkin Lane. Feel free to message me anytime. Uh, I'm posting uh, content from these issues uh, throughout the week as we go. Uh, And as I mentioned, we have some really fun things ahead. Uh, Leah Williams is coming up. We have some other amazing guest stars in the near future. And the trial of Hank McCoy uh, is coming up as well. Guilty. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm 
very much looking forward to that. We just did we just did Absolutely two and a half hours. We just did two and a half hours on this the the trial of the Scarlet Witch recently. Uh and yeah. the the Hank McCoy preparation is eliciting an entirely different emotional response from me than, <laughs> than the Scarlet Witch did. But we'll get to that soon. Uh uh Daryl, where can people find you? Yeah, so you can find my podcast account on Instagram under Two Rivers Two Takes. And my personal page is linked from there as well as my partner. So be sure to follow all three. Um, you'll see a lot of just random content about my pet bunnies and board games on my personal account. So oh. with a general sprinkling in of comic stuff as I'm going through random issues of everything and taking pictures of it and remarking about um, just how ridiculous it can be or how great it can be. And Bethany, how about you? Um, so I'm primarily, I am on Twitter, but I'm not, I'm not very active on it. Um, you can primarily find me on the comic watch website, um, where I publish my weekly column and on the Parthian website. I'm also on Facebook. I've got a professional account on Facebook, um, and a personal account, which is mostly pictures of my son and stuff about life in China. Um, I'm really excited about the new book. The new book is launching in America in December, actually. So it's, it came out in Wales in June. So, um, it, not just Wales, obviously, the UK and Europe, um, but it's coming out in America in December. So I'm really excited. We're going to have another, you know, another marketing push. Um, so it'll be fun. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Josh. Yeah, uh, you can find me online at Lost His Keys Man. Uh, that's on any <laughs> social media platform. And uh, I live up to the name, don't you worry. Uh, we'll see Hulkling and Wiccan is happening all month long in November on Marvel Unlimited. So definitely check that out. And I've got some stuff that hasn't been announced on the horizon from the big two, but nothing with the porcupine. Hey! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we will be watching for your porcupine news. Uh, you guys, what a what a good looking and uh, entertaining and educated uh, group of people we are. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, I had a blast. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. Okay, we'll see you guys back next week on uh, on Gray Malton Lane and uh, have a beautiful Saturday or, or whatever day you're listening to this on. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Bye.